0: I wanted to talk to you about Thanksgiving and and the purpose, the point of biblical um, Thanksgiving. Our human story is laid out in the first book in the Bible. It's a book called Genesis, which actually means beginnings. And in those very first chapters of the very first book of the Bible, as creation dawns and springs to life, we're introduced to this Creator. The Hebrew word for the Creator there was Elohim, God the Creator. And God creates, in the early, early first couple verses, He creates the heavens and the earth and the suns and the stars and the seas and the fish and the animals. And when He gets done, He pronounces all of those things good. Good. And then God, on the sixth day, he culminates this act of creation, and he takes elements from the earth, and he breathes his very life into those elements, and he creates his masterpiece, humanity, you and I, and he pronounces over our creation that we are not just good, but we are very good. But early in this book of Genesis, we, we, we don't just learn about us. We learn about God because the biblical narrative is not solely focused on us. In fact, what I would tell you is it's not primarily about us. The biblical narrative or everything that's going on. The biblical narrative and all of life is really first and foremost about God and what he's up to. And here's what you learn about God just in the first couple of, of, of words. There's two things that God does. God creates and God blesses. You see it over and over again. Check it out here. Here's, here's the story of our creation. God said, let us, I love this. Those of you that struggle with the Trinity, welcome to trying to figure something out that none of us have ever seen or will fully understand. But right there in the first chapter of the Bible, let us. God is a three-in-one God, a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God said, let us Make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. What does God do? God creates. And then what does God do? God blesses them. You see it again a couple of chapters later when the writer wants to introduce um, the story of Noah. He goes back to the beginning and says, let me explain to you where where Noah came from. And so he starts this way. He says, well, when God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created the male and female and blessed them. What does God do? God creates and God blesses. Now, if you were around Menem at all during this year, we did a multi-week study on attitudes. Attitudes. Because biblically, attitudes matter. The series was called Attitude Adjustments because attitudes in many ways really are everything. I introduced you to an ancient Hebraic concept that was alive and well in the days of Jesus and still is alive and well. And it was the concept of the 18 benedictions. I don't know if you remember that. But what we learned is that part of changing our attitude to an attitude of thanksgiving, having an attitude of gratitude... A procedure that was prescribed to the communities that Jesus lived in was the 18 benedictions, where you would wake up every day, and, and in order to get your kind of head screwed on straight, before just proceeding to coffee and the today show, you would stop and you would pause and you would go, Let me reflect. And you would bless God back for his blessings. And you would you would pick 18 things. They were called the 18 benedictions. And so we did a worship night one night last year, and it was just a wonderful evening where we were all thanking God. And if you remember, those benedictions would, would start, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, who? Blessed are you, O Lord, God, who woke me up this morning. Blessed are you, O Lord, God, who have given me this house. Blessed are you, O Lord, my God, that my in-laws have left for the Thanksgiving. But, you know. Um, blessed are you, O Lord, my God, that there's still turkey in that fridge, Right? Um, And it was just this way of changing our attitude and starting to understand how much we've been blessed and then blessing God back. And so I had a friend this week uh, email me that he was doing them. Uh, He said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm I'm doing my benedictions today for Thanksgiving. I'm like, that is awesome. And he said, what, that I'm doing them or someone actually remembered something you said? And I said, both. Those are really both wonderful things. Then I I saw this video. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's kind of going viral. I hadn't seen it until Tuesday, and I I shot it over to the office and said, We'll use this Sunday. Check this out.
1: I'm
2: alive. I'm alive. Yeah? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hey, Christine,
0: you're here too. I love you.
1: I know. Dad. What's happening?
0: Uh, honey, the power works! It's coming, go, it goes on and off, whatever we want! <laughs> We've got clean water! Oh, that's
1: great,
2: look at that! Ooh! I bet I know what
1: this does! Rain down the glorious water! Ha! Ah. Oh, what do we got here, guys? Oh, food. Mm. Hey, I love food. It. What? A, a, a boot? You
2: to have work? awesome. Look, at him.
1: D. The what? Dad, be careful. Whoa. I have a car. Did you guys see this? Yeah, you have a car. Have a car! <laughs> a car! <laughs> and don't forget your coffee.
0: And so, this God he creates, that was cute, right? Um, he creates and he blesses, and we give thanks one time a year, usually. Uh, for me, I pause the cowboy game, usually delay the pain for later after the meal, and uh, we give thanks. One day a year, we're very thankful. But what I want to show you this morning is that Thanksgiving and thankfulness itself, that attitude, they are not just uh, postures. It's as if sometimes I think that we start to think that, that Thanksgiving is an end in itself, that God wants us to be thankful, and he does, but he wants us to be thankful because there's a purpose to the thanksgiving. We're not created to merely be thankful. It is a fuel that inspires us to live a life that truly blesses God. Blessed are you, O Lord, my God, who? And others. Here's what I mean. I don't know if you're like this. By nature, I am a really competitive person, and it can get me in trouble at times. I love to win. I hate to lose. And this concept of of being competitive in nature, it compels me and drives me. Part of the reason I get up every morning and work as hard as I do uh, is is I want to win. I mean, I can turn ministry into a competition, right? Like, I want to win. I want to be the best I can be. I, I don't want, I'll never give up. Now, there are weird things here, right? Like, I don't know, there's a couple, I just, does anybody else pull up, if, like, anybody pulls up at a, a red light with you, you know, and you look over, does anybody else feel like somehow it says something about their manhood, about who can kind of, like, get off of the line the fastest, you know? Like, that's in me. I didn't ask for it to be there. Is anybody else, like, at the gym? Does anybody else have this, like, desire that if you're on the treadmill or, or the elliptical, is anybody else always trying to look over and see how fast the other person's going? Is that just me? Because I'm always like, you know... If they're going faster, then I'm like, shoot, i got to speed up because it's competitive. And if they're going slower, yeah, I just kind of give them a knowing glance about who's the man, right? Um, so this, I discovered, here's the problem. Uh, if you're competitive, has anybody married somebody that is also competitive? Don't do that. It's, it's, you know, that should be like in a premarital thing, right? Like, it's not a good idea. Joan and I discovered this about ourselves. We actually discovered it... Um, Being on the same team playing Pictionary. um, That is like fuel for a rapid divorce Uh, for us. We realized very quickly board games were not long for our future. So So the thing about being competitive is that this nature I have, because I'm competitive, it drives me, it propels me, it inspires me, it informs me. It impacts the choices I make, the outcomes that I desire. So let me ask you this, does being thankful impact anything, change anything, inspire anything? I guess maybe more bluntly, here's what I would kind of put out there for you this morning, this Thanksgiving weekend morning. I don't think you're ever going to find what you're looking for, the life that you so crave and want. You're never going to find what God has created you to be and for unless you not, you, you don't just have a heart of Thanksgiving, but that you allow Thanksgiving to compel you, to overcome your mind, to drive you. The way these other things in our lives do. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go back to our story. Back to our beginning. In the beginning, God creates, blesses man. And you know what man is? He is what he always is. He is like my children were when they were two years old. Less than thankful. They want more. And instead of choosing reliance and thanksgiving and blessing as a way of life, man chooses more, more, desiring to be his own God, not trust God. And those of you who are familiar with the story know that very rapidly creation spins out of control. Because if I want more and you want more, well, the world begins to look a lot like, you know, the electronics aisle at Walmart on Black Friday kind of thing, right? Like I got to get it because you might get it. This is what happens in the scriptures. By Genesis chapter 4, you've got brother killing brother. Violence raging. Relationships unwinding. Men begin to use women as possessions rather than partners. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 12, guys, this is, depending on how big your Bible is, it's only a couple of pages into your Bible. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 12, the whole world and every human is something less than good and very good. That's just at that moment, where if I was a dad, when this was going on in my family room and my children were less than good, many times I either, you know, punished severely or just walked out. I, you know. But God doesn't do that. God doubles down in the midst of the mire. He doubles down on blessing. There was an area known as Chaldea in ancient times, and it was a man who lived there. His name was Abram. Now, we know from biblical accounts that Abram's people, all of the Chaldeans, in fact, specifically, we know that Abram's father and grandfather were idol crafters and idol worshippers. They manufactured the idols in town for everybody else to bow down to. But something happened to Abram of Chaldea. And for reasons that no one knows and rabbis have pondered over the centuries, God chose to bless Abram and to bless you through him. Check this out in chapter 12, right in the midst of the mire. The Lord said to Abram, I want you to go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'm going to show you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Now imagine God saying this to you, okay? Stick with me. Here comes God's promise you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And I will make your name great. I read that and I go, that is what I've been looking for my whole life. I want to be blessed so that my name becomes great. God's blessing becomes a means to my end. You bless, my name becomes great. You bless, I sit at the right table in the the cafeteria in, in high school. You bless, I win state championships. Instead of coming in third, which I did one time, but that's a story for another day. You bless, right? Like, I, I get my name on things, and I become rich and famous and powerful. That's where we tend to go with blessing. Make my name great. Story of, and some of you know the story of Babel, Tower of Babel in the in Old Testament? If you remember what underlies that story, they're building this tower to the heavens, and, and the reason they're building it is they want to make their name great. But that's not what God says. God says, yeah, I'm going to make your name great. And, In a sense, here's why. Because you're going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, Abram, and you're going to be a blessing. And God goes on. He goes, in fact, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. Because all of and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This Hebrew word for blessing is the word barach. One definition of that was to give something of material relation or spiritual value to another. God blesses Abram materially, relationally, spiritually and he does so not with the end of making a name for Abram. That was a means too. Making his name famous was a means for another end. To bless everyone with material, relational and spiritual favor. You see, This means and ends concept. You see it even back in the first blessings. Jump back to chapter one with me. God blessed them and said, God blessed them. He blessed them. And then he said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. God blessed them and said, now you go and you become a blessing to this world. Just like you would later say to Abraham, now you go, you be a blessing. God's blessing usually comes with two other words now go, and now you go. Be thankful. It fuels a movement of go. Now, this is not just an Old Testament concept. If you've been around men and we've been trying to understand the difference between what Jesus taught and the Old Testament taught, New Covenant, Old Covenant, this is not an Old Covenant concept. Some of you are familiar with the Apostle Paul. Paul was once himself somebody that believed very deeply in hoarding the possessions of God. He made a name for himself in ancient Israel. He was the best of the best, the brightest of the brightest. But... He realized once he met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, it was all for a loss. It was benefiting nothing. See, Paul came to understand thankfulness and gratitude and blessing this way. Here's what he wrote He said, God is able to bless you abundantly so that. Can I get you to say that with me? So that. God is going to bless you abundantly so that. In all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Just in case you didn't get it, Paul goes, let me repeat that. You will be enriched in every way, say it with me, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And what is thanksgiving to Thanksgiving fuels going and blessing. There is a cycle for God's people here. This is our purpose. We are blessed so that at all times, on all occasions, always we bless others. And we bless others, it results in their giving thanksgiving to God. And when they give thanksgiving to God, it initiates a movement of going and blessing and on and on and on. But in our brokenness, we break the cycle. It's not natural any longer for us to be like this. What we tend to do now is build names for ourselves. Blessing, we wind up thinking it's not an ends. We think it's an ends to itself. But Jesus told a pretty dramatic story. You know, Jesus always oh, so soft and loving and kind, and he never has a harsh word to say about anybody, except he told this story about breaking the cycle of blessing. Just hoarding it for yourself because it's that serious. People don't find God when we, when we, when we hoard Here's what Jesus said. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, well, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones. And I'm going to store for my surplus grain more than I need. And I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. Be merry. There's a condo for you in Del Boca Vista. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is going to be demanded from you. And then who's going to get what you prepared for yourself? And he looked around and he said, I want you to understand something. This is what it's going to be like. This is how it'll be with whoever stores up things for themselves. But is not rich towards God. Because you see, guys, you weren't created to hoard. Hoarding builds fear and and, and you get scared, you're going to lose. We find our purpose and our calling when we move from being receptacles for God's blessing, when we move from being buckets, where we got to get a bigger bucket when it overflows, when we change from being buckets to funnels. We have this understanding, we tend to believe in our broken state that God's blessings are limited, that there is a scarcity to them, and so we adapt a scarcity mindset, I've got a hoard because I might not get more. But yet we are same people that say, oh no, God's an infinite God. I, I need to fill my bucket, and then when it overflows, I'll get a bigger one. But guys, God is infinite and his blessings are never ending. His love and his thoughts towards you don't stop. When you get this at deep levels and you believe it, you will begin to feel such a peace that you will move from hoarding and staying and protecting to going and freely giving and blessing. Because the world gets changed when people find God and when people find God, they go and they give, and the world gets changed. We belong to a denomination. We don't talk denominationally in here, and a lot of people kind of in town uh, have never heard of the denomination we belong to, so they kind of presume that we're, well, we're either a cult or an uh, a, 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 uh, independent church. But we're neither, actually. We are uh, part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination. It was never meant to be in the denomination. It was meant to be a movement, of people that were so thankful. I mean, there's nothing I'm more thankful of than that my brother-in-law, who was just at my house this week sharing Thanksgiving with me, that he didn't care that he would look stupid and took me out and introduced me to Jesus Christ. And it changed my life and my kids' lives. And at this point, I think it's having some impact, maybe in yours, because one guy realized the best thing he could give me was the message of Jesus Christ. What the Alliance has come to understand is as you're blessed, you weren't blessed to hoard, you were blessed to be a blessing. It is a Jesus-focused global movement of about 6 million people around the world with a singular goal, to be a blessing inspired by Jesus' love and empowered by His Spirit. We bring the most important news there is that God is for us and not against us, that you don't need to be lost in this world or the world to come, that you can be found here and today and forevermore by aligning yourself with Jesus Christ. It is the call of the alliance. It is what we do. It is why we go we bless and once a year the alliance comes and says i know you got a lot going on but once a year would you focus back would you remind your people of the call they've been blessed to be a blessing and they say would you bring some missionaries in? would you tell some folks about what's going on out there that there is a real battle for souls eternities hearts minds going on and we have workers on the front line Now at Mendham, we've been blessed because a lot of churches, they have to go find missionaries to bring in. At Mendham, you guys keep leaving. Some of our best best and brightest have left because they felt the call of God and the cycle has continued and out they've gone. As I prepared our message this morning, I was looking over and I realized what I was going to say. I can't say because we actually have a young family from our church that is out on the front lines in a very dangerous place. Because they feel the call to share the gospel with with people in Muslim communities and Syrian refugees. They're out there today because they heard the message of God in this place. They were inspired and thankful, and so they've gone. This morning, I want to introduce you to two others. I want them to ask them to come and share some stories as part of this Mission Sunday at at Mendham Hills as we refocus on who the Alliance is and what we do and why we do it. Brian and Michelle Davis were part of us for many years. They volunteered and led our youth ministry through some tough times, actually, when when the church was um, struggling uh, many, many years ago. And Brian and Michelle stepped up on a volunteer basis and said, don't worry about it, we got the kids. And uh, they have heard the call of God, and now they're out there going... In some sense, they're going, don't worry worry about it, God. We got the Muslim nations. So uh, would you introduce, or would you thank, welcome, Brian and Michelle as they tell their stories of what God is up to? Thank you.
2: Thank you very much. It is a blessing to be with you. you. We consider it a great privilege to be an extension of your family, serving now in New York City, uh, thank you, John, for letting us speak. Uh, I promise I won't out preach you because of that competitive thing. All right. <laughs> for a long time, though, I uh, recognized that I was not this thankful, this grateful. Um, I understood that there were people who hadn't been blessed with the message of Jesus, and I understood that God wanted them to know but I wasn't grateful enough to recognize that I could be a, a, a player in that, in, in that mission, in his mission. Uh, I thought, who would want to listen to me? Uh, what would I have to say or to offer? Uh, I was really shy, and I figured, well, the only way to serve God is either to be a, a pastor and stand up in front of people and preach every day week and I could not do that. Or uh, be a missionary and then you learn a foreign language and do that in a foreign language, preach every week. So that was out. (laughs) What was left? Um, At the same time, uh, I knew I wanted to serve God, so uh, I decided I'll volunteer in youth ministry. (laughs) And we did that here for seven years at Mendham. But I also knew who I was behind closed doors. I knew. How broken I was! I knew how I spoke to my wife. I knew uh, the the things that were holding on to uh, the sinful habits that I couldn't just shake, and I knew it was difficult to lead to live that beautiful Christian life that we read about in Romans. Um, and so I considered uh, what would it be like to start over with a clean slate? Is there a place I could go uh, to escape it all? Could I walk away from marriage? Could I walk away from God? Uh, just find a fresh start somewhere. And then in the summer of 2000, uh, as a volunteer in the youth ministry here, uh, our youth ministry took a trip to New York City uh, with a group called New York Gospel Outreach. And it was a, a week of evangelism training where our students would learn how to share their faith with strangers on the streets of New York and in parks. And I was their, one of their leaders. <laughs> I was scared to death. <laughs> I didn't know, uh, I knew I didn't have my act together. I didn't know what I was going to say, and uh, I was scared to death. Fortunately, there was a part of the preparation that week as leaders. We spent some time together at the Hotel Pennsylvania there in Midtown, Manhattan, and we listened to God's voice and prayed for the week coming. And it was the first time I remember hearing God's voice clearly say, read this, and he directed me to the book of Jonah. Uh, you probably know the story of Jonah. God commissions him to uh, preach a message of repentance and, uh, and bring revival to a certain city to the east, but instead he heads west. Uh, he heads in the opposite direction. He runs the other direction. And I knew as I read that book that God's message to me was clear. Don't run away. So I committed to not run away. I didn't know what I was running towards, but I, I decided I wouldn't uh, run away. Fast forward a year later, again, as a youth leader at another youth event, uh, this time it was Life 2001, and uh, how many students here are preparing to go to Life the next, next summer? Anyone? I'd encourage you to go and uh, send your students. It is life transforming. It is incredible. Uh, for me, I heard a woman preach that, uh, that summer uh, about the Holy Spirit in a way I'd never heard before. She said something that really struck me. Uh, So many people think of the Holy Spirit as the one who convicts and and draws us into relationship with Jesus for the first time, and then they go on to try to live the Christian life in their own strength, (laughs) and uh, that's silly. Uh, We have been given the free gift of the Holy Spirit, the power to live this beautiful Christian life, and when we try to live it in our own strength, it's so tiring. In fact, it's overwhelming. (laughs) I was like, yeah, that's me. I know right where that is. And uh, at the end of the message, when she uh, gave a call to response, I said, I need that Holy Spirit power in my life every day. I'm going to yield my life to him in a new way. And it was the first time I didn't care what the students thought or anybody else in the whole room. There were probably 10,000 people there. And to me, I felt like I was the first one standing up. I need that. That was a significant day for me in becoming grateful for what God had and recognizing uh, what he had, uh, that he gives me the Holy Spirit to live this beautiful Christian life. But nothing really changed over my life that dramatically um, overnight uh, until a year later. And another uh, tr- tremendous experience, I was rock climbing with some friends. Many of you know the story. Uh, I took a 80, 90-foot fall off a cliff while I was rock climbing. Uh, I'll save you the, the suspense. I ended up living. <laughs> But I did break one uh, bone, it was a serious bone, uh, a very dense bone in my ankle uh, that takes a long time to heal. So I had nine months before I was full weight bearing. In fact, the first three months I was in a hospital bed in my living room and I had lots of time with God and uh, the Holy Spirit flooded my soul. The door that I had opened to my heart the year before, he just stormed my life and uh, changed every paradigm in me. I was so grateful that he saved my life for no other reason than he just loves me. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. Um, He just decided to preserve my life. And my response is to love him back, to be grateful and to share his good news of his love for other people as well. Um, And as I explored his love and, and read in the Bible more and more about how he wants all people to experience that, uh, to be reconciled in relationship, to know his forgiveness, uh, to come in allegiance with him. There are a number of things that really grabbed my attention. Uh, for instance, this was in the wake of 9-11, and uh, I didn't really like the way that many Muslims were being treated in, in, by some Americans. I do agree, there is an enemy, but it's not Muslims, it's Satan. And God calls us to love everyone. So what was my role in that? Another thing is, uh, do you know there are 7,000 languages spoken in the world today? Um, there are still 2,000, though, that don't have any part of God's word, the Bible, yet in their language. Uh, another thing, 86% of all Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus have never met a Christian before. These things are issues of, uh, to me, uh, issues of justice. Um, Not that there aren't people around us everywhere we go that haven't uh, believed in Jesus yet, but there are some that have never even had one opportunity to hear who he is uh, or decide to follow him, and I wanted to be a part of that. And so I started to look around um, for a Muslim. I lived here in Mendham, and I figured where would I find a Muslim to to find a friend uh, and learn about his world. And so I went to Morristown, and I went to an Afghani restaurant named Pamir. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's good food. Uh, I don't even know if it's still around. And I met a man named Yunus. Um, Interesting thing is, Yunus, if you translate it from Arabic into English, it's Jonah. (laughs) Um, So I I, I met him at the restaurant, and... uh, I pretended I went there for the food first, but then I asked him if he would, had time to have a conversation, and uh, I would come back another day to to meet with him. So I came back later, and our first real conversation, he said to his boss, "I'm going to take a break. I don't know how long his breaks are, because <laughs> we had a three-hour conversation. <laughs> we sat on the uh, on the green in Morristown and I had a cup of coffee, and and I probably asked him two or three questions the whole time, and he, he just talked, and uh, was, he was grateful that I would spend the time and listen to him. Um, towards the end of the conversation, he said to me, Brian, um, there are Muslim men who've memorized the Quran from cover to cover, um, but they go home and they, they lie about their taxes, they, they lie to their neighbors, they cheat on their wives. God's word has not been illuminated in their lives. And then he said, but I see God's light. In your face. And I said, wow, (laughs) I'm hooked. Uh, I want to be a part of this with God. I know that's not me. I know that's the Holy Spirit in me. And uh, He is inviting me into uh, sharing His love and His light to other people. Um, And because uh, I wanted to be a a part of that to a greater extent, uh, we ended up, Michelle and I, serving with the Christian Missionary Alliance in Senegal. In West Africa, in a context where there are about 5 million Wolof people, and at this point, maybe 300 are followers of Jesus. Uh, the rest are Muslims. Uh, we, we went there to, to, to share the love and the truth and the power of Jesus with them, and we got to partner with a local church and uh, worked in the areas of health and education and prayed for lots of people and read the Bible with them. Um, we're so grateful. For what God has done for us and in us that we can't help but share his love with other people. And then God redirected us to New York City.
1: Yes, about 18 months ago. Um, and one thing, one verse that has been really comforting to me, I'd like to read from you, it, read to you. It's from Acts chapter, Acts 17, 26 and 27. So it says, from one man, he made every nation of the human race to inhabit the entire earth determining their set times and the fixed limits of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope around for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. I don't know if it's ever occurred to you, but God has determined the place where you would live so that you would find him. And I don't know how you feel about immigration, I don't know how you feel about politics, but I can tell you that God has brought the nations here for such a time as this, so that some may come to know him. And so there are people here, 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 like in Mendham and in Chester and in Long Valley and in New York City and in all the major cities of the nation who God has brought so that we who have the hope of Christ can share it. In New York City, there are at least 30,000 Senegalese and over 200,000 West Africans. There are over 800 languages spoken in New York City and at least 80 unreached people groups. So there are people here that can be reached, that can go back, can share the gospel across the phone lines, across the visits, Um, and I want to share two stories with you. The first is my friend, Marie, who came to the States um, about 22 years ago. She came to go to college and she's remained working um, in New York City most of her time. And she was practicing Muslim until very recently, and she became very sick many years ago. Um, She was dying, dying of a kind of pre-leukemia type of cancer. And she went everywhere. She went to Mount Sinai. She went. She went all across New York City. She went to other specialists in Philadelphia, and she went back to Senegal. She went to the local religious teachers, and nobody could help her. They just said, "You're you're dying." And one day Jesus healed her. He just miraculously healed her. She was completely healed, and she thought, "Well, I'm going to start going to church." So she started going to this West African church um, in New York City in Harlem, and. Um, she started to hear more about Jesus and uh, she's just this exuberant um, enthusiastic lady and she started telling her family like this Jesus like he's really interesting and he's just drawing me in and her family in back in Senegal was like forget Jesus he's just a good prophet and she would say but he healed me and they they could see that she was healed and they would say well that's nice we'll just put him in the little box over here, but she kept going to church, and she kept hearing more about Jesus, and she was just drawn into his, to him, and he, the Holy Spirit was speaking to her, despite her, she was just on this journey to Christ, but the Holy Spirit was speaking to her, she would say, I heard God tell me to to read the Bible, that there would be answers in there for me, and so she'd start reading the scriptures. And she was, um, when we met her, she was sort of kind of on both sides of the fence. You know, one day she was like, I think I'd rather be a Muslim, but God healed me, and I don't know what to do with that. And maybe I'll become a Christian, but that would cost so much. My family might reject me. They might actually try to physically hurt me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And she kept coming to church. And last February, we had the privilege of watching her get baptized. And that was her, her stake. It was when she finally said, I've decided. And she was, I didn't realize this until yesterday, she was at her home and she said she invited some of her Muslim friends to come up and just to be a part of it because they were part of her journey to find Christ. And she said, come, I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to put the stake in the sand. And since then, she has been so grateful for what Christ has done for her, not just healing her, but for delivering her from overwhelming fears, for giving her peace, for giving her joy, for giving her this assurance of salvation that she can't help but tell like everybody, like everybody. Like she'll go into mosques and corner an imam and say like, you are missing the point. Let me tell you the real point point. and here's Jesus. And she's telling her coworkers at a very high profile company in the city and she's telling her family. And four people from her family have come to Christ since February. Two of which just came from Senegal in the last few weeks to New York City. um, So they can be baptized next Sunday. And it is super exciting. And it's been challenging to me too. It's so exciting and it's been challenging to me. Because when I've seen her in church, she comes up and says... Michelle, all of Senegal doesn't know this message, they need to know, and I sort of say, well, yeah, that's why we were there, and (laughs) yes. But her passion for sharing what God put into her, her thankful heart is overflowing. She has no other response than to share with everybody who she comes across. And um, recently, she came across a friend of a friend, it's sort of a long, complicated story, she came across this woman and her 15-month-old baby who came to the States, uh, a Muslim woman, and her, the, the woman's husband divorced her when she came to the States. And she was essentially homeless, was sort of the end of the story. And she, this this lady, um, our friend Marie, was talking to Brian one day and said, you know, can do you know of a... Place, a place that would house her. You know, is there a shelter in New York City that would take in a woman and a child? Turns out it's actually really very difficult to find a place. There's lots of places that would take women, lots of places, foster care system will take children, but women and child together is very difficult. Um, and so Brian came home and said, you know, could we take her in? And I thought, in our little apartment, it's not really that little. It's, it's a great place, but it's, it's a small place. And um, I said, well, I'll think about it. And then Marie, my friend, texted and said, "Um, I need you to help me. I don't know what to do with this lady. We need to help her. We need to do something. And will you meet her? So I went and met her. That was about all it took to draw me in and my heart into this lady and her 15-month-old. And and there was something in me. I was actually at the district office the day after I, I met her. There was something in me that said, if the church doesn't respond and care and take in this lady and her 15-month-old child, then what is the church? If our church in America can't welcome this Muslim lady who's homeless, then who are we? And so um, it sort of launched me into this, this journey. We took her into our home, actually, for a week or so. And she's been in and out of the shelter system, and her story is continuing. I chat with her almost every day, and we pray over her. And interestingly, just a quick side note, when she came into our home, um, <laughs> we got some, some negative feedback from people, um, from all different camps, actually. Several of our, our Muslim background-believing friends were like, um, is that okay that you take her into your home? I'm like, what do you mean, okay? Like, yeah, we're just going to rearrange our kids, and yeah, it's, you know, some things will be more difficult. But they were like, well, you know, like spiritually, and I was like, well, our God is stronger. The Holy Spirit is more powerful and um, so it it was interesting to have her in our home, but God is having Marie on this journey to share Christ with all different people, and I've been excited to be on the journey with her and to share in her passion as well, but... The other thing that God birthed in me is this passion to see transitional housing for women in need or men in need as they transition to the States. What a time to share Christ in their in their brokenness. Um, I want to tell you one more story. And that is um, a friend of Brian's, actually, Jacques, who's from Burkina Faso, and he came to the States and he wants to become a pastor. And in his mind, um, perhaps in his perspective, a lot of pastors' jobs are inside the walls of the church, building up believers, training them, equipping them, and as he met with Brian to fill out applications to go to Bible school, Brian started sharing what we did in Senegal. And they just started just getting to know each other meeting together. And one day he said to Brian, um, I think the Lord wants us to do something together. And so they prayed about it. And, and he said, um, you know, there's 1,500 1, delivery workers who are West African, who are almost all Muslim in Manhattan alone. And he works for, that, for one of those companies. And I think that we should share Christ with them. And we have these small windows, and so Brian's been going out on Friday mornings. You can, you can remember him Friday mornings, and they've been sharing Christ with these delivery workers, and they um, have just this little window to, to share the gospel, and Brian actually said, like, don't you think we should, like, get to know them, and we'll meet in their home and have tea together, and we'll, you know, we won't hide who we are, of course, but we'll share the gospel over a period of time. And his friend said, no, this might be our only opportunity we have to share the whole gospel with them if they were willing to hear. So Brian thought, well, we'll try. We'll see how it works. The first week, they ran into somebody, and they said, hey, can we talk to you? We love Jesus, and we'd love to share with you about Jesus. Do you have a minute? And he said, I've been looking all over this city since I came to this country for somebody to tell me about Jesus, and I hadn't found anybody till today. I'm ready to accept Christ. They came to Christ. Brian was like, "Okay, this is a good ministry. We can do it this directly." But they've been going out every week, and um, the last couple weeks they haven't been going out because Brian's actually been was in Senegal for two weeks, and then we were at a conference in Colorado Springs for a week, and then Thanksgiving. So while he was overseas, I was planning Thanksgiving. My grandparents are moving to an assisted living home. So it was like our last Thanksgiving at their house. And so it was going to be like 14 of us, just family. I had visions of like reminiscing, the memories, and I had it all laid out in my mind. I don't know, maybe this is a woman thing, but I don't know if any of you have expectations for how things are going to go. Well, I think it was Wednesday afternoon before Thursday. Brian's like, just so you know, I invited a few people. Like, what do you mean you invited a few people? Were you going to mention this? And he said, well, you know, Jacques, our friend who he's been going out with. And I was like, okay, well, that's just one person, no problem. And a few of the other delivery workers. And I was like, what? And I was disappointed, honestly. I can tell you, I was like, what do you mean? But I had a picture of what it was going to be. It was the 14 of us, and we were going to reminisce and all this. And and I was not very happy. But I, you know, okay, okay, well, all right, this is what's going to happen. So I I actually said, did you tell my parents and my grandparents? You're going to tell them. And anyway, he did. They were like, great. I'm like, oh, why is everybody else excited but not me? Um, When I went to bed that evening, the Lord just said to me, who are you to keep that all to yourself? Pour it out. These people don't have any other place to go. Have they ever been invited to Americans' home for Thanksgiving? Pour it out. This is the point. And so by morning, my heart had changed. And around the Thanksgiving table sat um, Jacques, our, our West African friend, and several delivery workers, and a wife, and a child. And after they left, my grandmother, um, and it, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And after they left, my grandmother said to Brian, Now, who were those people? <laughs> And Brian said, well, there's Jacques, you know, he's, he's my good friend who I've told you about, we go out to talk to the delivery workers, and then there were the other two men, they're also delivery workers, and they're Muslim, and she said, oh, oh, okay, and sort of this realization, like, okay, I wasn't expecting that, but okay, that wasn't so bad, it was okay, it's okay to open our home, and to welcome, and to share the love of Christ, and so um, those just encapsulate two of the things of the many things that we're doing in the city and perhaps you want to join in in what God's doing he's doing an incredible work not only among Senegalese but among a whole bunch of unreached people groups all over the city and so we would be happy to have you join us for a day or regularly or any space of time Um, but I also want to challenge you to think about your situation I know that there are people who don't know Christ around you, I know that you're aware of that, but I also um, would not be surprised given the demographics of our nation, the rapidly changing demographics, that there aren't people from unreached people groups, that there aren't people who God has moved specifically to your neighborhood, to your street, to your dry cleaners, to your McDonald's, to your diner, to wherever you go, to your child's school, so that you can be the one to interact with them and point them to Christ. And so um, I I don't know what it feels like to you, but in my mind, I see this image of you touching one person and them touching another person and that going way back all the way to those closed access countries that don't have the gospel. Where here, we have the freedom to do that. And so um, I see great kingdom impact from just looking around to the people who are lost around you. So... um, Ask God to give you eyes to see those people and the courage to step into that.
0: And so that's the cycle of blessing, guys. Uh, It doesn't happen unless you are overwhelmed by what God has done for you and how he has blessed you. Uh, I do want to share with you just one kind of challenge, and I don't talk about money a lot at Menon because I really do believe us to be a missionary church, and I know a lot of times in our communities people are like, "Oh, the church and money. But uh, I will talk about it now. One thing the Alliance does that's very cool, if if you know other missionary sending agencies, most of them are funded because the missionaries are asked to go out and raise their own support, and that's a great model. The Alliance believed I that they so desperately wanted the missionaries to be freed from that concept of worrying about funding and just out with the people. That the Alliance said, No, our people will give and will fund. And so that's what we do. That's what Alliance people have done over the generations now. There's something called the Great Commission Fund. It sits behind what we do missionally. But we give a percentage of everything you give, we give a percentage of that into missions. And it funds missionaries like Brian and Michelle who are predominantly supported by you guys. We were able to do that because of your giving. So I guess I just want to challenge you maybe quickly on three fronts. Number one, you're a missionary. Be thankful, go, and be a blessing so that people would find God and that they would go and be a blessing. In, invite people to Christmas Eve. Invite them to the Christmas series. Everybody's looking for a sign. The second is, you know, we talked about uh, giving here over the last year. We had a whole series on what it looks like to, to have, manage our finances correctly. And we talked about the biblical concept of tithing, giving a tenth of what we have into the work of God. If you're not doing that, I would encourage you, it's the end of the year, think about doing that. Think about at least moving towards it. You've been blessed. Don't hoard be a blessing. And last, if you, if you are giving and you're tithing, I'd encourage you to think about tithing a portion of what you're tithing to the mission process. The CMA encourages us to give 10% of what we are given to the missional movement. So I would encourage you along those same lines. We have very few funds that you can give to here at Mendham, but you can give to missions. So if you want to designate a portion of your giving, um, that would be uh, a practical way um, to 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 be being a, being thankful and being a blessing.